BSing. Haven't BSed for a long time. I know. It's been years, huh? It's been a couple of years. What a couple of years it's been. I thought for a minute there we'd never BS again. Yeah. Want to tell your story? Of the last few years? Yeah, specifically the last year, I guess. It's probably. Well, I lost my wife. Yeah. That's still a huge story in my life. That was two years you ago. Know. She brought a lot to the table. That's been two years, yeah. Uh, I was sick all last year. I was in the hospital from the 5th of February until Thanksgiving, roughly. Then I went back in for a four-day stint because I broke my shoulder falling down. But yeah, I was uh, was in the hospital for for better part of nine months, if not all of nine months, and uh, I uh, started out innocently enough. I had a bypass procedure that was successful, and I was killing the rehab on it. Before that, you were on a cruise, and you had to... Yeah, I was on a cruise. Okay, so... Yeah, the whole story is I was on a cruise by myself, never again, and um, I ate late on a Saturday night. We pulled in on Sunday, uh, and as I was disembarking, I had a little chest pain. Not a lot, but a little. So the I didn't. I guess I didn't look very good. I didn't get a good night's sleep anyhow, and. Uh, uh, crew guy said are you feeling all right and i said well i got a little chest pain here he goes well hold on and he was in heart attack mode right then they came up with a gurney and they strapped me down and he wasn't messing around carted me off to their little hospital on board hospital just well-equipped tiny room and put some nitroglycerin under my tongue for the record, I've never had a heart attack ever that anybody knows of. No evidence that I've ever had a heart attack. That was chest pain. But then, of course, they took my luggage and called an ambulance and took me away to the hospital. Well, when I got to the hospital, they ran me through emergency and... Uh, Oh, after all was said and done, they said, well, you didn't have a heart attack. How are you feeling? And I said, I feel fine. And the chief of uh, medicine there uh, visited me and said um, that some of the pictures they'd taken, however, however, whatever device, it wasn't an x-ray, but I think it was a sonogram of my heart and it's called an angiogram i think that's where they got the information that i would be that i was a good candidate for what they call a cabbage procedure which is a bypass quad bypass where they take a vein out of your leg and use it to build roadways across your heart so they did that he did that i said i'll it's it which said you could do this and i so this was elective he recommended it but it was elective so i said sure let's go for it like that not like that it took me a little while to say go for it i in fact the way he left it with me is we'll take a few days or a couple days so my family had come down i was in galveston my kid my family had come down uh i had a little vacation there at the ocean it was cool uh, the weather wasn't really great for the ocean but the kids all went in anyway and spent a long time in cold water ocean water having a blast it's like January time frame? Yeah. So we hired we had hired a house. This is early January and early February. So we hired a house on stilts that was down by the ocean and 
uh, we had a good time. By the time it was over, I had decided, yeah, I'm going to get the bypass. So I went in for the bypass. What all went into that decision? For me? Yeah. That's not a small decision. How do you make a decision like that? Well, uh, here's, I mean, yeah, I'd probably make a different decision today after what I've gone through, but uh, I don't know how much I might have gone through otherwise. Hard to assess, but. Yeah. Because the, the. um, Unfortunately, you can't just split and run both timelines, you know. You can't say, "Well, go back." Yeah, that alternative that alternative reality goes on its own way, and you'll never see it again. Right. Um, But there definitely, you know, would have been a major branch had I not taken the doctor's advice and gotten the surgery. Because after the surgery, of course, I was bleeding to death. That that was the problem, is I developed internal bleeding. Uh, I was rehabbing just fine, but I was losing blood. And um, my hemoglobin got all the way down to four. So I was... Pretty low. <laughs> dead. As much as. And... Um, you know, 35 pints of blood or more later, you know, I'm here. Now I have somebody else's blood. Well, I've manufactured my own It doesn't blood. cycle through kind of somehow? Getting rid of that and getting my own blood has been, you know, a good a good thing for my health. And I, you know, was, okay, I was on the brink of death. Uh, a couple of times, maybe. Well, maybe. According to my three or four times, four maybe four times, yeah, or more, but at least four that my kids counted. And um, of course, I was unaware of, uh, and and this is something that uh, you know people put off. Uh, there are people who put off the gospel, thinking, "Well, I'll believe later." You know, I can. I can do this in my own time. Quit pushing me. Yeah, I'll get serious when I... Yeah, get out of my face. Uh, I'll think about this in my own time or whatever. Well, no, you won't. Because when the time comes, you're preoccupied with a whole lot of other stuff. And... uh, that those moments that you have, you know, even now, I mean, you know, I don't know, somebody listening might be having a moment where they're able to collect their thoughts and, and just really think about uh, Jesus Christ and how this whole uh, redemption story has been, you know, put together by God from from Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham to Moses to David to Jesus to Paul, the apostles, you know, to us. Mm -hmm. Not that many steps, and I just went all the way back in human history. Um, And the central figure in that whole drama is Jesus Christ and the central... Um, event of Jesus Christ's life on earth certainly was his crucifixion and subsequent resurrection. I mean, I don't think you could argue that. No. I mean, I, I know there's idiots out there that 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 argue that perhaps the most documented person that ever lived never lived. You know, show me your documents. These These guys that there are guys out there that say Jesus never lived, and they got PhDs behind their name. Yeah. But um, let's see your documents. May I have your documents, please? You know, what are they going to produce? A birth certificate, maybe a high school diploma, their college credentials. 
where's your witnesses? Where's your, where's your four gospels? Where's your progressive epistles with smoothly progressing doctrine throughout? Where's all that that Jesus brings? Now, where's the past all the way back to Noah and Adam? Where's, that, where's your promise? Where's the promise of you? You know, you were never promised to mankind. No. No. I mean, we should be glad to be here. We're just we're, kind of a blip in history, you know? We're blips in history, but he is history. Right. That's why his story is called his story. They'll come up with some new name. Her story. I don't know. Maybe that's lame. <laughs> that was a Saturday night. Besides that, you got to go like with person story. Well, the feminists would like her I don't story. think you can keep it to one word. You know, uh, all the economy of the English language has been squeezed out by the, what can I call, sexualization of language. You know, uh, when I when I say if I said a, a three three hundred man army, and there happened to be women in there, that I'm not wrong. I just didn't think genderly about what I'm talking about. I just talking about an army. Yeah. Um, anyway, the English language needs to be defended, I guess, before it becomes ridiculous. You know, it's so agile and facile to take on. New words. I believe there's about 300,000 words in the English language. And if you have a 50,000 word vocabulary, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of as, as one of its virtues is how it can just absorb. Yeah, no, it is. One of its uh, characteristics that is powerful is that it can take in other languages. Yeah. Assimilate them. Which isn't it interesting that our language assimilates other languages nicely and our country is made out of assimilated people. Yeah. You know, what what may you know, we talk about some people talk about making America great again. Well, I think the aspect of America that was great in terms of social structure was its ability to assimilate, you know, other people. Now, it's almost as good, you know, the country was pretty good at that, but the church in every location at every time since the church was established, we can argue about when that was, but why should we? We know it's been established. And since the church of God has been established, it assimilates all people in every land, mm-hmm. out of every tongue, in every age. Think about that. You know, somebody builds, I mean, who, who you talk about these corporate guys that build these big organizations, you know. They've got 30,000 employees, or maybe even 100,000 employees. Mm-hmm. But compared to the Church of God, that's nothing. Hundred thousand, nothing. True, and uh, and the Church of God was structured such that every tongue and every land and every place uh, it can thrive. When you talk about assimilation, yeah, you're not discarding that which makes you unique, right? You're you're attaching no. to a bigger ideal, or you're. The fact that you're assimilating newly born again believers is instead of diluting, I think what you're talking about is maybe the dilution that you're maybe diluting somehow. Yeah. Uh, Quite to the contrary. I mean, you're, you're enhancing and you're strengthening. I think, I think those that would oppose assimilation, even inside of the church, they wouldn't oppose it, but like have this feeling of, well, like, not cooperate or not the, do it. Not the, do it. Yeah, I mean, you are you a Star Trek person like the Borg? Remember the Borg? No, I'm sorry. All will be assimilated. I'm sorry. I missed Star Trek. <laughs> this is Next Generation. This was the good one. Well, William Shat- I left William Shatner. 
Okay. So this is the John Luke Picard version, not the William Shatner version. Anyways, they have the Borg, and these are a a people who go around and all act the same, all look the same. They're all basically robots ish, and they're assimilating other people. So they're like basically. Oh, they're like the uh, they're like the pods in uh, in um, we call it body snatching. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, or, I mean, you, you go back and historically look at, like, what the Catholic religion did with the uh, Inquisition. I mean, wasn't that assimilation? Like, that's a bad form of assimilation. Well, no, that was uh, not really assimilating those people. They were uh, uh, executing like those people. Hostile. Well, it was, it was, you know, kiss the ring or die kind of a thing. Yeah, that's not what I mean by assimilation. Well, I'm I mean, just that, trying to tease apart exactly you, what you mean by it. Now you have conquest and, yes. and so forth. Um, so, I mean, yes, I think the resistance might be the dilution of my person. I see what you're saying to an extent. Um, what is it about receiving people very different than myself, for example? Right. Uh, what, it, what is it about that that, that, um, that lessens you? Certainly, culturally, it has to move you toward an ideal culture. Yeah. Because the culture of the church is is ideal in every way, in every place. Yeah, you would definitely be compelled by the scriptures to discard that from your culture, which is damaging or contrary to. Sure. Yeah, I would. It would be a test of your. I mean, receiving. I mean, other look people. what happened at was it Ephesus where they all got together and burned their books and. Yeah. You know that was a culture shock, right? Great movement of God there, yeah. Yeah, and the society that they lived in was like shocked, right? Yeah, these are the people who've thrown away these uh, practices that now they say they're. They say that they're evil practices and so forth. You can you can you better believe that there was a mounting countercultural response to that, where people were coming out saying there's nothing wrong with this. Well, absolutely. And these people are idiots for burning books. I mean that. Absolutely. That's what they're told. Well, there was a countercultural movement in Ephesus. <laughs> Boy, right? no doubt. I mean the, the, the viciousness of Ephesus. By the businessmen, the but the but I mean somehow it became the hotbed of Asia Minor opposition to Paul, which mm-hmm. you know it was those guys, it was the Asia Minor Jews that followed wanted, huh? They followed him. Oh yeah, and falsely accused him, uh, and accused him of uh, was it taking uh, Timothy into the. Or Titus, Titus, into the uh, holy of holies, uh, took a Gentile, you know, beyond the court of the Gentiles, right. which they had I mean, no business saying that. There's and, one level of hostility wherein you run somebody out of town, but then there's a yeah. whole other level of where then you go follow them to the next town and until run them he's out dead. There. Yeah, right. I mean that's a whole other level of hostility. They did chase him from city to city. That is, that's a whole other level of commitment. Yeah. Well, there even, I mean, there were Jews that took a vow that they wouldn't eat till he was dead, right? Right. Was that the ones from Asia Minor, or those were Jerusalem Jews? I think those were also, I think those were from, they might have, they they're the order of Sicari. Yeah. Um, That was no doubt, that was a secret society. Uh, People say, well, how do you know it's a secret society? Well, a prominent part of secret societies is oath-taking. Oath taking, prominent part of secret societies. It's where Jesus said, "Take no oaths." Mm-hmm. But uh, when I go to court, I don't take an oath. In the, in the United States of America, you don't have to take an oath. You can affirm rather than swear, and I always do affirm. Uh, but uh, uh, back on the uh, Sakari and secret societies, I mean, there. Uh, the uh, the infiltration into the churches in Revelation 
seems clearly to be secret societies uh, doing that. That uh, the uh, the church age is the whole church age has been marked by the rise of secret societies on the outside of the church that are really designed. I mean, they're designed and their impetus is to destroy the church of God. These designs against the church apparent in the Gnostic heresies that arose after Paul was done, that were actually arising during Paul's ministry as he warned people of false apostles and false epistles. Broadly speaking, uh, you want to collectivize this was the uh, Gnostics, various flavor Gnostics, mm-hmm. uh, you know, claimed to be in the know. And um, this, uh, this counterculture movement actually tried to uh, surreptitiously uh, invade the church to... I mean, the enmity was so great that they designed a strategy of infiltration along with their, you know, public castigation. Certainly, you, for example, in Ephesus, where it appears that the opponents got a certain kind of upper hand. Yeah, uh, you might call it a civil upper hand. Civil upper hand. Well, they weren't being very civil. Well, yeah, but they overtook the civil <laughs> apparatus. Yes, they seized on and, the, and they had apparatchiks that the Colosseum would exactly, and they had apparatchiks that for sure would snoop you out and destroy your business if they could. Right? They go like, oh, that's a Christian guy there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd be, ban- boom, you're out of the Bitter Business Bureau. You say Bitter Business Bureau? B- bitter. Well, I could say. That would have been funny. Missed that opportunity. <laughs> but, Multiple uh, timelines. Well, let's pop this deck back. So assimilation, dilution. Yeah, assimilation, uh, maybe assimilation. Assimilation is the right word for... Um, how we take on others in the church. You know, others come into the church simply by believing in Jesus Christ. Yeah, same way everybody does, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's no other, uh, let's say, can we say starting commonality? Mm -hmm. You know, there's those two people we don't know or that one guy we don't know. And he's come around, and uh, I talked to him, and he says he believes in Jesus Christ. So all of a sudden, you know, we have the the task of, well, um, will we tr- we sh- we ought to treat this man or these people like members of the body. Mm-hmm. We begin to treat them like members of the body. We look upon them that way, and. You know, along comes the Lord's Supper, and we see if they participate with us, and we check on their baptism to see if they've been baptized, and we clear that hurdle one way. Either we get the tank out or, you know, we find out they have been. And, uh, and of course, for them... They're coming under the umbrella of the church leadership as soon as they uh, as soon as uh, someone comes in let's talk about assimilation right away the oversight of them is engaged uh, probably more lightly than others but oversight begins. Uh, it's funny how that works. It really is funny how that works. 
because I'm I'm trying to think if I've ever gone up to somebody and say hi. I'm John. I uh, I do the work of oversight here. I, I I don't think I've ever said that to anybody. Yeah. And uh, you do that thing with the where you point at your two eyes and them and then yours and then I them. do that to your kids. I'm watching you. <laughs> I do that to your little boy. <laughs> I'm John. But, I'm watching you. Yeah. Well, I do that to your son, but I didn't do that to any. <laughs> He does it right back to me. He's so funny. But uh, uh, that work begins. Mm-hmm. That's part of assimilation. Uh, the teaching of the scriptures begins to reach them. Uh, you might have to bolster that with some filler. So, you know, they go to this place for dinner, and after dinner, this brother talks to him about such and such, and so the process of assimilation goes because we have one Lord, one faith, you know? Yeah. We have to introduce maybe the person to the unity of the spirit that we keep in the bond of peace. Might have to show them that and say, here's what we, this is what we do. We endeavor to keep this. And then that keeps the water still and a peaceful group of us to come together and, and come into the, unity of the faith through the teaching and understanding together, holding the scriptures. Uh, you begin to find out that you work at that, that there is a, there is a process going on of, in the church of um, finding the truth. Uh, men in the church bringing forth Things new and old, uh, those things new have to get uh, digested by the rest of the church. They have to pass through a certain, maybe I say a barrier wall, you know, it has to pass through a certain veil of unbelief in order to become belief. Mm-hmm. And that's a process that goes on. Somebody opens up a new maybe something new in the scriptures and you're glad to hear it, but you think, you know, maybe I'll have to review this myself and judge it for myself because, you know, he's never said that before. Or, I don't know if that's quite right. But that whole I mean, there's the whole engine of the teaching that goes on in the church. There's the work of oversight that goes on. There's prayer together that goes on. There's fellowship together different ways. There's Mm -hmm. the Lord's Supper, which is a grand time of of fellowship, should be be a very uh, focused time of fellowship, very important time. Um. And what is fellowship if it's not the, the things that we share together, we have in common, right? That's the communion aspect of... Yeah. I mean, we talk about assimilation, it's it's community. I mean, it's literally community. It's the things we have in common, the things we hold. Yeah, it's not as if you pull a person all the way to yourself and then they, then he's, he's there. Right. It's that you come together around uh, truth. Yeah. That's why the church is prosperous in every age, in every society. There's a way, because it's the truth. Yeah. So the Bible does say that we should be of one mind, like First Corinthians, I, you know, the, the early chapters of First Corinthians. The, pro- the problem in Corinth was they were not of one mind. They were, in fact, denominating themselves into different minds. Well, it's hard to imagine that in Corinth that the work of the ministry was actually going on. No, there's just a lot of infighting going on, it seems. Yeah. So, I mean, it looks like, you know, the it was rough waters all the time. Somebody's stirring them up. Sheep can't drink yeah. except still waters. Uh, the, the scripture says, he leadeth me, you know, to the still waters. Mm-hmm. That's what shepherds do. 
They make sure the water's still that the sheep are drinking, and then they can uh, feed sheep. But uh, without that, with uh, somebody uh, with uh, the fighting going on, it looked like the uh, party spirit going on right. in Corinth. Uh, there was just no way that uh, that the ministry could go forward and do it. Well, they were not coming into the unity of faith, right? Which is why the they weren't even holding the, was to be one minded. Yeah, right. They needed to come into that unity. They weren't doing that, so that's exactly. what the teaching there was. And then I think of Romans, I think either twelve or fourteen, where it talks about let every man be convinced. Of his own mind, right? In his like, own so, mind, yeah. In his so own mind. So the heart. unity is not, like you said, it's not a come over here. It's not like an order. No. It is a it's a convincing out of the scriptures. So you have to you have to come together around the truth. Otherwise we never come to the same place, right? And we all have to come there by being convinced by the truth, not by uh any other means. But yes, but we have these we have these means. We have means going on in the church. We have we have the ministry to bring us into the unity of the, of the faith. Right. Like we're equipped for that. I mean, that's what this, the 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 church is for, right? The equipping of the saints. Yeah, and then we have the oversight which more or less is there to make sure and defend the ministry, uphold the ministry of the church. It's what the oversight is about. You know, both both uh correctionally and invitationally, you know, both to bring people to the truth and to, you know, keep them from going from the truth. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, at the heart of the, at the heart of the church, really at the heart of the church is the Lord's Supper, what the Lord's Supper represents, that we're all one in the blood of Christ and, uh, you know, it's the communion of the blood of the covenant. And we also have the rite of baptism, which the rite of baptism is the public display that, yes, I've gone from death to life, which is what what we want to see. Mm-hmm. You know, if we want to see anything, we want to see that that profession— that answer of a good conscience, we want to hear that. The answer of a good conscience toward God, so that we can receive that person. Mm-hmm. And then and then the Lord's Supper, of course, we're, we're baptized or not, you're received there. Um, you know, people are so worried, by the way. You receive everybody to the Lord's just Supper. putting rules around it. Yeah, you just receive everybody to the Lord's Supper if... <clears throat> If there's unbelievers there, you give them the warnings, but the more serious warnings aren't to somebody who might accidentally eat some bread and drink some wine, which is all it is to him. Yeah. And that's all it is to me, too, for him. Uh, Much more serious is, you know, participating in amongst the believers in an untoward way. Unjudged way. Yeah. That's just some legalism, isn't it? Like all the rules that people put around that it sure stuff. sure seems like it. No, it's I not mean, in the scriptures, right? It doesn't no, say you have to be, I mean, it does say you have to judge yourself. You ought to come in a way that's appropriate. Yeah. I mean, if you have some unbeliever that just goes, well, this plate came by, so I ate some bread, and then this cup came by, they were all drinking out of it, so I did. So? Yeah, I know there are those who think that, wow, that's just defiled the... I don't know. Yeah. The emblems? It's almost like they've gone too far with the uh, symbols. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say probably the people who are refusing the unbeliever, the symbols, they're not refusing them the collection plate, right? They're still going to pass that past them. Yeah, that's pretty true. <laughs> I've been in fights about that. Probably. Yeah, I tried to stop the collection plate in a church. That's a that's a big job. Mm-hmm. Finally, got it stopped in our church, but that went because it went down to just three people. That's one way to do it. Yeah, just reduce your church number down to three. Your church, you reduce your number down to those who who really care to go forward and fight the fight. It's like uh, 
in the scriptures there where the Lord reduced the troops of Israel down to see who is going to lap like a dog and see who is going to take the water up in their hands. Mm -hmm. And got down to not very many people, but uh, they were uh, ready to fight. Yeah. And so he got down to a very uh, successful army. So let's pop a stack again because you were telling us about your story. Oh, so I was so sick. Yeah, I was so sick because okay, I was uh, I got my I got my quad bypass done. Right, the elective procedure. You were internally bleeding during. The yeah, rehab. they wrecked my ulnar nerve on my left hand. That ends up being a small deal, hardly to talk about because the rest of the ordeal I went through. Yeah. I started internally. I was internally bleeding. They they gave me blood, but I was internally bleeding. So they tried to stop it. They did stop it once, and I was bleeding again. They stopped it twice. I was bleeding again. They tried to stop the third time. I was still bleeding when they were done. And uh, they couldn't do it anymore. My By that time... I was in such terrible shape with all those, all that bleeding going on and your surgeries going on or procedures. Yeah. Uh, now I'm on a vent, you know, and I uh, am facing death. Still bleeding. But uh, so I was in what they call NPO, no food, no water. I was being only IV'd. That no water was just killing me. It went so long without a drink. I would get uh, ice from my kids. And uh, actually, they started sneaking me extra ice for the, that the doctor didn't order because it was I was just so miserable. And my son loaded up his ice with lemonade, and it really helped. But... Uh, as I was this still down in Texas? Or are you talking about? Yeah, I'm in Texas at this time, and and my chest, the the, the wound, my, the wound f from the chest incision is not healing well at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's 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 getting heavily infected so much so that I lost my uh, sternum. Now I don't have a sternum anymore. Um, they put a fake one in there, like Iron Man style? Well, yeah, it's kind of Iron Man. They stretched my pectorals across my chest and took them away from where they were. As you can see, I have dents. And then I feel like I do have an Iron Man suit on. Mm -hmm. But, uh, okay, so I'm lying, and I'll just make a long story short. So it's February 28th, February 27th. And I decide with my, I got this chest thing open. I got drains all over my chest. I've got infected blood. My respiration is failing. I, I need oxygen uh, all the time. And uh, in that state, I was... I think I was still clear-headed. I was still communicating with the Lord and he to me. And I told my kids, we're going home. I'm I'm getting out of here and going home, going to the hospital at home. So we chartered a medical flight, not cheap at all, $17,000 one way. Wow. Yeah. We chartered at a twin engine Cessna too it was not a Learjet or anything slick and uh, packaged me up like a parcel packed me into the plane and brought me to brought me to Omaha where they were waiting for me at the hospital I didn't even go through emergency I went right into the ICU and uh, immediately they started intensive care I was in intensive care in Texas, too, uh, but I'd gotten out. And then uh, when I transferred to Omaha, they found me with this uh, heavily infected sternum. They did the procedure I just described here mm -hmm. in Omaha, surgery. 
and then they uh, began to treat my wounds and my sepsis and my infected blood and the sores all over my body, uh, bed sores and so forth. And I really started getting just fantastic treatment. I got to tell you that. Just terrific treatment. Um, because I was in the hospital so long, all the staff got to know me, got to know a lot of my friends that were visiting. I had more visitors. It was church people. I had more visitors than the rest of the floor combined. And uh, as you know, as I got a little bit better, I did a Bible study or two mm -hmm. uh, in the there in the hospital. But uh, you know, I'm skipping over all the hard parts. Yeah, uh, I was. I mean, they they there were there were four times they gave me up for dead. Uh, once in Texas and three times here in Omaha, and. Uh, you know, February, March. I came here April 1st. So April passed, May, June, July, August. And now I'm in re now I get to go to rehab. So I go to rehab and right first week of rehab back to the hospital, I'm infected again. So I'm in the hospital for another couple weeks back out to rehab for a couple of weeks. They kicked me out of rehab, the first rehab hospital. They kicked me out of there because they said that I wasn't making sufficient progress. And uh, I argued that. I said, I can tell I'm getting, you know, I'm making progress. I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, well, you know, you're not going to walk or stand for six months. Mm. Six months to a year before you walk. Or stand. Uh, they had stood me up using a machine, but I mean the machine did all the standing. Mm -hmm. uh, all I did, all I felt was pressure in my knees. But the next week, I stood up on the parallel bars. I stood up, and uh, you just with, trying to show them what for or what? And with the walker, I walked sixty feet. And, uh, yeah, the, in fact, when I was doing it, the, the therapists that were with me said, boy, are you making liars out of us? But I did, I did feel the challenge. I did, I have to say, I felt the spirits enabling upon me, uh, which I still do from time to time, uh, because it's so difficult for me to get around. I feel that you know the spirit enabling me, like, like to stand up for an hour. I, I very difficult for me to stand up for an hour. I mean that's a real physical challenge. Mm -hmm. And yet now I've preached three times, or four, three, four, three or four, three. I've preached three times for an hour, and I haven't felt tired. I haven't felt weak. Uh, and I certainly haven't been near, you know, collapse or needing to sit down, anything like that. So um, it's when you go through as much hospitalization as I did, mm -hmm. run across as many different conditions, can't breathe. You know, no blood. These are crazy things. Uh, you, I say, I'll say I gain knowledge of the fact of the spirit being in the body. Knowledge of the fact. So you, you knew it intellectually, but you experienced it. I experienced some separation of my spirit and body. This is like uh, near death. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Did your life flash before your eyes? No. No <laughs> life flashing before it. my... Crazy stuff was flashing before. This is why I say, you know, you don't really... People who are going to put off receiving Christ as their Savior, 
when when you're in the condition headed toward death, you you don't have control over what you're thinking about, and yeah, in our society, when you're you know instead of being in excruciating pain, which by the way my condition created excruciating pain, such that I had a button to push that would. Of course, it was limited. If every time I pushed it, they gave me some, I'd probably be dead. Mm-hmm. But it was fentanyl. It was that strong. Yeah. So I had the lauded. I had fentanyl. I had other morphine uh, drugs. You're drugged up. I was drugged up. It was, and I thank God for those drugs. Actually, I thank God for them because the pain is is too much. You had, some, you had some drugged up conversations with me. Did I? I don't even remember. Yeah. Nope. I don't remember. Yeah. Sure don't. I it, mean, just crazy. Oh yeah. Just like yeah, he's on drugs. He's really on drugs right now. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, but well, you know, curious how much of that time was. I mean, you were probably in and out of consciousness a bunch. I know when you were in Texas when I was down there, you're pretty much you don't remember any of that. Consciousness takes on a whole new term. Yeah. The consciousness that I was in was just apart from everybody else. I mean, I was busy thinking and trying to express myself. But... Who knows? I mean, you you know better than I do what I was saying, how I was acting. Because mm-hmm. uh, I sure don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm hearing stories about myself that they're pretty pretty wacky. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you that, however, I may have chattered on or, or acted. There, there was a uh, a line of thought that my that my spirit had to take hold of my body that i needed my spirit to take hold of my body and uh, because you're losing it yeah cuz it seemed they were separating and that of course is what death is yeah uh, so yeah, I mean distance. I had I I under I felt distance. Like my spirit was perfectly fine, but this body was not fine at all. Mm-hmm. And the bo- my body needed my spirit to get fine. Well, this is my thoughts. I mean, I, I could be wrong, <laughs> but th- these are my thoughts. Yeah, and. Uh, at at that you know at that critical time okay so in order to leave texas i had to pass a psychological test so my kids thought it was a really bad idea to leave texas but they were satisfied that it would never happen because i would flunk the i recall this i was like certain to flunk the psychological test but but they tell me and i don't remember the test either at all mm. But they told me that when they came in and gave me that test, I was a straight arrow. I answered everything perfectly, and they were shocked. My kids were shocked. At least Jeff was. And, you know, I passed the test and right now ready to get on the airplane, which, of course, I wasn't. Yeah. Two nurses on that plane. Jeff had the... The luxury of riding in that plane with you, right? Yeah, he had to he had to sit up front when they took off, and then he could sit back in his chair. That's how that's how bad that plane was. But the one nurse was there in case, and the other nurse was busy drugging me up. They didn't want me to have any pain while I was in the air, so I was loopy as could be. I remember it. I remember being loopy. Yeah. I remember looking out the window and it seemed like the plane was flying between buildings, but I uh, know it wasn't, but 
seemed like it to me. And I just, you know, laid back and endured it. And then they then they almost dropped me and Jeff had to catch me on the tarmac. That was a bundle of foam or something. But Quite an uh, adventure. But yeah, well, yeah, it 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 the adventure I hardly knew. Mm-hmm. Probably more an adventure for him than for you. For Jeff, yeah, absolutely. But uh, we, I, you know, in retrospect, I see the presiding of God over my ordeal. So let's fast forward then. Let's let's get retrospective because undoubtedly your your perspective from January that year till February. I guess we can go February to February. Go February nineteen to February twenty twenty. Yeah. What a what's changed? I mean a lot of people have a what a year different outlook on life after almost dying. Well, yeah, and of course I'm I'm still rehabilitating, as you yeah. know, you know, with difficulty in many, many areas. Um Mostly that I, you know, lost all my strength, all my muscles, pretty much. Well, a nice side effect. You lost all this weight, and this has helped you in certain health. I did. I no longer have type 2 diabetes. That's huge. Yeah, that's a big deal. I got rid of the thing that was killing me, probably. Um, but at what cost? Yeah, got to keep your heart strong. Yeah, my heart is not strong. I'm operating on about a third of my heart, what it could be. Average heart pumps about 67% rate of the blood. It can, the, the, uh, the good thing about your heart is when you want to turn it on, you can. You step it up. Your heart, your heart steps it up with you because it's got a cushion of, you know, 30 plus percent. Uh, capability of of uh, you know pumping more and stepping up. Mm-hmm. I'm at twenty two percent, and I can't step up at all. So I have no, as my doctor said, you have no burst. Mm. And it's true, I don't have burst. You know, I, I burst in my mind, but my body, I don't have burst in my body. Which for me, I mean, is really, uh, I'm unaccepting of the new normal. I, I can't live without a burst. I don't think. I, I, as I tell friends, I'm trying to find a new normal for me. What's my new normal? And uh, I mean, is there prospect of you getting that burst back, or is it gone for good? Well. Uh, Medically, and they've been wrong a lot, even yeah. though they've been good about things. Yeah. They've been wrong a lot. Uh, they they don't think so. In fact, uh, they're more concerned about fitting me out with a pacemaker and a defibril- electronic defibrillator, put that in my chest. I asked him, how long do the batteries last? They go, well, we don't really know. I'm thinking, what, does everybody die with, you know, before they wear out the battery? They must. They don't know how long they'll last. Yeah. Well, but it's five years. Ah. Um, I think that's lame, frankly. Uh, I think it's technically lame. I think somebody probably has designed... Uh, device that operates on the chemistry of your blood and processes power there thereby or at least keeps the battery charged at least uh i don't i don't know enough uh what's the state of the art but i do know what they want to put in me and i'm not real happy about that i got till april to decide it but Mm. yeah so you got this new normal i don't know what new normal is well here here's one good thing new normal includes preaching yeah 
and even BSing. So that's nice. Uh, yeah, the new normal is is better than it was. So, so when I say I'm finding my new normal, at the same time I'm trying to find that I'm scrambling to make the new normal as good as the old normal or better. And uh, that's still a long road to hoe, but uh, th the estimates by the professionals are that you need three days of rehabilitation for every day you're in the hospital. Well, a nine-month stint <laughs> requires two and a quarter years, right? 27 yeah. months. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm trying to be patient, and at the same time, uh, pushing uh, pushing the limits at least once in a while. So uh, yeah, I'm, I I feel like I I am pushing the limits from time to time. Uh, November, December. Let's see. Well, I was in the hospital in December, early December. So we go like early December to early January to early February. I've been two months only. Gosh, it seems like a year. I've only been two months at home rehabilitating, at home, out of yeah. the hospital. Um. I think I've gone a long way in two months when I think about that. When I think of it that way, I think I've come a long way. You know, mm -hmm. I get in and out of my chair. I can come to your house. I can go to the church and preach. I can, the church building. I can uh, go to the grocery store. Although when I get there, I cheat sometimes and drive the cart. Uh, but, you know, go on. Go, going places and doing things. Uh, going to bask, going to my grandson's basketball games. The, one, the team you coach. Mm -hmm. uh, that's been a joy. Uh, watching those guys is a little hard on the eyes, but uh, <laughs> yeah. well, they're young. It's still funny, but uh, yeah, so. I'm coming back. That's, I guess, the final story is that you know I'm I'm doing I'm making my comeback. Maybe it's not triumphant. Maybe the new nor you know maybe the new normal is sedate. Maybe the new normal is troublesome and sedate. Um, you know, I live with my grandsons. And one of their friends, also my grandson's brother, my newest grandson's brother. And, uh, you know, living with these young fellas is helpful to me. They help me, for one thing. They help me in every way. Yeah. But also just being around them. Is preserving, I think, of my uh, preserving of my life in a lot of ways. My uh, you call it your youthfulness, but you know it's not really youthfulness. It's the it's your life, and uh, instead of staying in bed all day or whatever, watching TV all day, I have these boys to interact with and. You know, talk calculus and talk business and, you know, help me get back in the saddle. Mm -hmm. I got things I want to do, Jared. I I still want, I still have a mountain to climb, at least one. At least one. Right now, the United States government is negotiating with the nation of Kenya, a free trade agreement. Guess who's in the way? I'm in the way of that. Somebody got to give me a little attention, mm -hmm. finally, 17 years later. So I still have a mountain to climb, maybe a couple. 
making your comeback. Making a comeback. <laughs>